0: I only get two this time, unfortunately, because I, have, I had an event scheduled for Houston next week, and the airline flight is earlier than I originally uh, planned. So I won't get to uh, wrap up my next week uh, with you. But uh, appreciate the opportunity to come by and talk a little bit about uh, generosity, uh, money, treasure, Unfortunately, probably for most of you, um, if you are a uh, believer and you are a regular church attender, for you who perhaps are not, but uh, most of you who are, uh, probably the only discussion you've ever heard about money was at church, um, and the, uh, the pastor uh, usually uh, speaks on a giving whenever budget is low. Or when there's a new project that needs to be financed, or uh, we want to make sure that everybody is uh, giving at their full capacity, of course, which never happens. Um, it can be a little self-serving. Having been a pastor for 25 years, I, I feel like I can speak on that. Um, giving is usually self-serving in that there's some project that we want to finance, or some building, or some new something. And, of course, uh, he's invested heavily in that himself. And so he, in order to get you to feel the necessity or the need or the um, the God-authorized, spirit-enabled want, um, it can be um, guilt-producing. We can use uh, a spirit of, um, is the will of God, but we definitely want it to be your will today. And some people get a bad taste in their mouth I, I'll never forget, I was a young pastor Very young, i just graduated from graduate school I'd gone to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago And I went out to Willow Creek Which was only about two, two uh, and two and a half, three years old at that time It was just starting, most of you don't, probably don't know anything about it But it, it, Willow Creek would go on and set the philosophy and design for church planting for the next 35, 40 years um, and um, I was there one morning and they were explaining uh, the philosophy of the church was well, it started in a, a movie theater and they uh, it grew very fast and it, uh, they had built their first building sitting out in the middle of a cornfield. Um, and you had to drive through the cornrows, dirt road, to get to this building out in this big open expanse where they, what is now the Willow Creek Campus. And the morning that I went, um, they were very keen on telling people um, that uh, um, when it came time to take the offering, uh, the pastor... Bill Heibel's got um, took about five minutes uh, to explain that uh, you um, you were to feel no discomfort whatsoever uh, at the offering time, and that if you were there, and if you were a visitor, and this was your very first time, that we were just so happy to have you visit. Uh, we were we would in no way impose upon you. Uh, for offering and that you are absolutely free to simply let that pass by uh, that was uh, something that you could just ignore. And uh, having been a pastor um, myself, I, that was the first time I'd ever heard a preacher say that and uh, of course shocked me to the core of my being that you, you had a, you know you had 3,000 people and you weren't going to get an offering from every one of them. Uh, church I'd come from, Um, You had to get up and walk around and put your offering in the basket, and then we would count it on the spot, and if it wasn't what we wanted, then we would have a second uh, (laughs) serving. Uh, I learned how to do it right from uh, my pastor, who um, first would not allow change. He did not want anybody to drop any change because he didn't want to have to count it and fool with it. So if you're going to give change in an offering, just keep the change. We wanted uh, dollar bills larger. And uh, of course, certainly didn't want George because he was the only president that seemed to go to church. So anyway... um, <laughs> I learned a lot about uh, that process. Uh, I, hopefully, you have grown enough in your faith and come along enough that you understand that this is about more than just the rudiments. Uh, being generous, having a spirit of generosity when it comes to uh, our finance, and being a uh, steward, as we talked last week, stewardship. Bible doesn't use the word stewardship for money. It uses stewardship for gifts of the spirit and for the gospel that we have been given. And that is a first on God's list of accountability. When it comes to our treasures, the Bible speaks of wealth as treasure. And we saw in Matthew last week that uh, the Bible absolutely forbids collecting, piling up, amassing treasures on this earth, which is where I want to begin today. God through his son Jesus gave a story in which he says heavenly it is a question of your heavenly treasure versus your earthly treasure and the only good earthly treasure is that which is used to build treasures in heaven and it is good works it is agathos energe work good works that ultimately builds treasure in heaven and today I want to talk a little bit about how you do that being rich on earth versus being rich in heaven is the wrestle mania of the Christian life it's for certainly here in the western part of the country jesus gave a parable in which he talked about this man who was uh, amassing great wealth building bigger barns being able to add to his collection of stuff uh, To which God gave a summary If you would to be perfect He told the rich young ruler Go sell what you possess Give it to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven And come follow me Now it is not a Prescription he is not prescribing that every rich man should go sell everything that he has and then follow God. That That is not the principle that he is teaching here. He's teaching that when treasure becomes the consume, consume when treasures consume your heart, it's time to get rid of the treasure. Every man has to decide for himself where his heart is in terms of what he has or what he counts as his treasure. If it is consuming, if it is controlling, then it is in fact time to get rid of. So principle number one, don't allow anything on this earth to control your heart to the point that it would cause you to even second guess your fellowship of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, Paul's tells us in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, which is where I want to spend some time this morning. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy 6, 18, 19, Paul gives us kind of a prescription for what we ought to do in terms of the treasures of this earth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, as for the rich... He says, in this present age, now rich is, is a word that we tend to think more is more relative. Um, yet I, I haven't found any American yet who um, would spend any time in India having a problem with defining what that word means in light of living in India as an American. Um, you, we tend to think it's more relative for us who are here in America. You know, if I'm only worth six, seven $700,000, I'm not rich. Uh, We would say, uh, yeah, it depends on who you're comparing it to. But Paul says, listen, friend, if as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy their They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is a passage that is specifically spoken to those who have amassed uh, great treasures on this earth. Um, I believe that all of us in this room as Americans... Um, have so much more than 90 percent of the rest of the world that this passage is talking to us. It certainly says Paul had a message, and the Bible does have a message about what we are to do. He uses four terms. He says, "Be good, uh, be rich in good works, uh, be generous, and sharing or fellowship." It is interesting these four words uh, in terms of what they mean in terms of attitude that you who are more well off than the overwhelming 90% of the of the rest of the world to be good the word actually would be better translated uh, do right uh, as a all consuming concept of Christianity. We ought to be righteous people, and therefore we should be marked by righteousness or the doing of right. That's number one. It is the foundation upon which you build your. A cone, uh, let's say, of developing life. The foundation of life for all of us as believers is to do good. That is to be right or to do righteousness. And then if you climb up to the second level of life, he says, uh, be rich in good works. uh, In that which the world recognizes as good works. Uh, Not, we don't need it. We know it. It is the world that looks at what we're doing and decides whether that is good works. Kind of interesting how the world has perverted what that means. Talking about Jesus Christ and his will for this world would not be considered a good work by the world. Yet it is for us because we know that's what we've been commanded to do. So you can't let the world determine what good is because their idea of good is only that which makes their flesh feel good. So understand... You are not going for the world's critique as to what is good. You are going by what God has defined as good, and the world simply gets the benefit thereof. The third one, he says, be generous. This is in terms of the poor. The focus of generosity here is in terms of those who have not. You are to be constantly sharing of your blessing, which God has promised you that if you are in fact righteous or doing the good and if you are rich in the sharing of your good works then God has promised you that he is going to be in the business of resupplying your tank it will never grow emptied that is a faith based issue you have to trust God that if I'm pouring out that he's going to be constantly pouring in It's a faith-necessary step, otherwise you won't do it. The fourth and final one, koinonia, or koinonas, the word we get fellowship from, basically means common. So Paul says the fourth level of the Christian life, starting with the fact that we have a base of righteousness or doing right, uh, being involved in the good works that the world will see, the sharing of gis- generosity that starts first with the body of Christ, the idea that someone who is a true believer in fellowship of Christ is not being shared with of our surplus is is an abnormal fault in the Bible text. God has no understanding of a believer who has, Knowing that a believer does not have and is not sharing with him. The Bible doesn't have any any concept of that, that it would be foreign to the Bible. He would expect for us to share what we have. What we ought to do is what the situation calls for is what we are to do that's sharing. That's to be common. We ought to have that in common, the body. It is not causing, it is not a call uh, to be socialist it's a call to make sure that those who are righteous and in the body of Christ know that someone always has their back I remember the first time I ever slept in a um, in a no window no door house um, I was in a little village in um, And um, near, uh, well, you don't need to know what town it was because you wouldn't know. Anyway, uh, these people um, believed they were believers, um, but they did not have houses that we would normally think of. It was a house with no windows. I mean, there was a cutout, but there was no window in the window, Um, and there was no door. Uh, I mean, there was an entrance in and out, but there was no door, and. uh, I just can't sleep when I think something can crawl on me um, you know um, because of the weather you really didn't you didn't you didn't need a blanket because it was not cold enough for that, but for some reason i've been mentally trained to have something on me when I sleep um, and then i'm not used to hearing a lion roaring somewhere off and having to try to decide mathematically based on that sound how close he is as to whether I need to be ready to do something. I didn't sleep that night um, because I could never be satisfied that I was safe uh, Liz is crawling in and out. Um, anything that wanted to could come in or go out at night. Um, it was fascinating because where they kept their animals, it was gated. They did have a real fence and a real gate where the animals were kept, but not in their house. It um, didn't seem to need that. I never in my life felt so great to get back to the Hilton in uh, Nairobi. Um, it did teach me a valuable lesson that so much about what we do in life is based on what we've been conditioned for. They had been conditioned to live like that and saw absolutely nothing and thought nothing of it and, and snored resoundingly at night. I, I didn't catch it, I didn't get one wink of sleep. I think Paul is saying when he's talking to these people here, he's saying you, you're going to be conditioned. And you need to condition yourself uh, in terms of how you're going to live based on where you are in your life. So as believers, we need to be thinking in terms of I'm going to be involved, as Paul tells these people, as for the rich in this present age, he says, they ought to be to do good, be righteous, do the right thing. They ought to be rich rich in good works, that is, as the world uh, should see us. Uh, He says and thus uh, to be rich in good works, to be generous toward those who don't have and ready to share or to have in common in the body of Christ. Paul says thus storing treasures for themselves as a good foundation for eternity. He's, He's telling us that as believers generosity comes out of the abundance of what God gives us and if you have a spirit of generosity God would never give you a gift that he's not giving you the supplies to use so he's not going to give you a spirit of generosity and not then give you the stuff to be generous with he just doesn't work that way unless of course you are in fact not allowing your gift to be used for Christ's disciples riches on earth should be a guarantee of riches in heaven the more you have on this earth should be signaling that you are going to in fact have tremendous riches in heaven the corollary is that if you have riches on this earth and you are not building treasure in heaven then the system is broken you have broken it for your life God gave, he gives in the hope that you are using it to do what you should be doing. The question I think is, that is probative, is when you talk about earthly treasures versus heavenly treasures, uh, what's in your wallet? Wealth will, wealth does, wealth can interfere with trust in the Lord. At the end of the day, it's my hope that we are learning that we don't want anything in our lives that interferes with trust. Because when you trust in the Lord, usually what you ultimately will need to, need to trust him in comes later after you having built your level of trust. If you don't build your level of trust, and wealth will interfere with that, you will be left with nothing to depend on in life but your stuff. I went to the doctor and he um, he immediately wanted to help me appreciate the fact that I was getting older, <laughs> and um, he wanted to put me on a um, cholesterol uh, reducer thingy. And he he went through this thing. Well, you, now you got to understand. You, you know, now I don't have to tell you. You're a black man, right? Yeah. Um, and you have, you know, this and you have this and this and all these things together uh, put you at a very high risk, uh, and therefore, um, uh, this is probably the best option for you. So, a well, doctor, you need to understand now I'm 59 years old. I don't take any medicines of any kind. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have. High cholesterol well, it was one about one ten he considered that that's why he was concerned um, I just don't know how you can eat all those sausages and it not be up a little high, okay <laughs> I'm not giving up sausage doc but anyway uh, and he so I said well, I tell you what doc um uh, my great- my grandmother my great grandmother lived to be one hundred and three my grandmother lived to be eighty one um my mother, she's 75. Um, I think I'm just going to kind of hold what I got. Um, and I'll be back and see you in a year and we'll see how it's going. Um, and it's amazing, you lose 20 pounds, it doesn't become an issue. If you lose 20, so I lost 20 pounds. And um, I'm still not taking any medicine of any kind. Um, and I'm not taking an aspirin a day Or anything else um, i like to think that it's because of the goodness And the grace of God But also I'd like to think that it's faith And believing that if you live right Try to do right uh, Other than the genetic uh, cesspool That you're in Humanity um, You are going to die boys um, It's just a matter of when um, And I want to enjoy All the days that I got Wealth, my stuff I didn't sit there in that doctor's office fretting about life. I thought about whether I was going to be trusting in the Lord that he was going to keep me here until the time that I'm ready to go. I think it's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. And I think if you continue to amass of this world, then that's going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time filling your heart with trust in the Lord. His summary to the, to my session today is he says that... To the rich fools, uh, then this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared—whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Of course, this is the story of the guy who, you know, had a great harvest and decided that he needed to build bigger barns. And uh, he built some new barns and stuffed them full and concluded at the end of the harvest season with his new barns packed to the rafters that he had no more concerns for this world. That he needed not fear because he could make it now that he had enough stuff. Uh, And of course uh, the Bible summarizes his uh, excellent uh, summary and statement of life with God's that tonight fool you're dead. And now who's going to share your stuff? Uh, probably not one of those stories you want to preach on a happy note. Uh, doesn't end too well for that guy. This is one of those passages that if you want to scare people, you just scare them real good to get them to start giving. That's not my point. That's my, <laughs> not, not my desire. My desire for you is to understand that generosity and stewardship of the spiritual gifts that God has given you and the generosity that you are to employ which will show itself in how you give away of the surpluses of life that God has given you is that there are two options. You can either be very wealthy in this world and very poor in the one you're going to next or you can flip the coin and strive to be poorer in this life to ensure that you will be extremely wealthy in the next. You cannot transfer from this world anything physical. Nothing, nothing you want, nothing you pleasure, nothing you pride, nothing you put great confidence in materially You can take with you out of here. You can't send it on ahead. You can't stockpile it and come back and get it later. You can't hide it in the wall and then find your treasure spot there when you rise from the dead. Nothing. The only thing you can do with it is to give it, share it in this world, and allow it to be transformed into the treasure of heaven in the next. That really is the choice that you have, and I would greatly encourage you, as I have, and as many believers as I know have, that you do develop that as a life model. Uh, You don't need a sermon on generosity. You need a sermon on disciple. A disciple who is truly committed, a faithful, developed follower of Christ will do the right thing. And we'll do what God has called all of us to do. This past uh, week, um, we heard about the uh, storm, of course, and there's a, f- there's a family in Crestview, Florida, which is right in that, in that path. Um, the, the lady married a guy very wealthy, and uh, he didn't trust banks. And so he would bury uh, money uh, in uh, containers in areas where he thought it was safe where so people wouldn't find. And he, um, she told me that when he died, um, while she was at the hospital, and he was in the, I mean giving his last breath, um, his son uh, went to the, the home site. Because she was not his mother. His mother had died. He had remarried. And while his father was at the hospital taking those last long breaths you take when you're dying, uh, his son was at the the property digging up money. <laughs> and fi- he was digging up these canisters of, uh, of money. And... Um, she of course, when he died, and she found it when she went home. Um, the first thing she noticed was these holes, um, and it didn't, of course, didn't take her long to realize that his son had been there digging up these canisters that he had under certain trees and a certain path away, and she found out. That he had about 1.2 million in cash buried uh, in these different things to which her son, um, uh, her son, uh, uh, wasn't her real son, but had uh, taken and uh, had, had gone. Of course, uh, um, he was avoiding government and taxes and other issues as to why he didn't trust banks and he was burying it. Um so can you report that to the police that my adopted son went to the house and dug up all the money can you call the police and report that well no um you can't one two you don't know how much was buried uh you don't even know what denominations it was in so you can't report it so the boy he didn't re- he certainly didn't fill out IRS documents um, dug up money from POP um, 1.2 million and so he basically uh, got away with it and there was nothing that she could do. Now fortunately for her, he didn't find all of them. Um, there were a few more uh, that she she did find. She lived on a 25 acre uh, dam lake beautiful uh, uh, has largemouth bass in there right now that are 12 14 pounds I mean just fabulous beautiful property but anyway um, that Sun um who thought it was the right thing to do because she wasn't his mama after all? Um, dig up his daddy's money and to take it and not share it with him. And by the way, he didn't share it with anybody else either, not not his real brothers, sisters either. Um, to show you how life, uh, life can be funny, Kenneth, because uh, about 25 years after his daddy died, um, he had a stroke and uh, could not wipe his own bottom. And um, one day he was put in a um, a nursing uh, facility where they had to put a diaper on him and change him every day, wiping, clean him. And she she was a Christian woman. She was, I mean, a good woman. She really was. Uh, she, She told me that one day she went to see him and um, he was laying in bed, had a stroke. He, was, he couldn't speak, but he could hear and understand, comprehend, couldn't speak. And she walked in, um, and she had not, they, they had not spoken or had any kind of relationship all this time. And she walked in, and he was laying in the bed. She walked in. She didn't say anything. She just walked in and, and went up over the bed and was looking at him and as he was looking and realized who she was, uh, the tears running down his cheeks. And she, she took um, a, a towel and she, she wiped his face, dried his tears, she smiled at him and she turned around and she, she walked away and she never saw him again. Uh, And he died in that state. Um, As far as she could understand, his wife, whom he was married to at the time, um, hadn't been to see him in that state. His children had not been to see him in that state. She said it seemed like he had bed sores uh, and other issues going with him. Uh, My whole point today is that You ought to use what God allows you to collect in this life uh, to build for the next one. Because if you do, it will always ensure that you have friends here as well as in the life to come. Those are the benefits of doing it God's way and not man's. Father, I pray for us today as men who are in with the responsibility as spiritual leaders of our homes, we men are charged with the task of leading our families and making good decisions. And often the finances and how we spend them and what we do with them uh, is ultimately left to us as the spiritual leaders of our home. I pray, Father, that you'd help each one of us, each man in this room, to be the best. That we could be to make the right decisions to ensure that our treasures in heaven are super abundantly more than what we have demonstrated in this life. This is our prayer and our concern for you and for them. In Christ's name, amen.